What's going on, everyone? This is George Cleef Faye. We're back with another episode of Let's Grab Coffee. I'm joined today by Carol Lehman, the CEO at Exonify. Carol has held several now uh, CEO positions or executive positions at, at different tech companies, all of which have had successful exits. So I'm very excited to talk to you about this, Carol. Uh, come from a background uh, of accounting, actually, at the University of Waterloo, seasoned executive in tech. It's about to be a good podcast. Again, thanks for doing this, Carol. My pleasure, George. Happy to be here. So tell me one thing. I mean, uh, you know, from your profile, I think you, you mentioned that you were a CPA. You then kind of ventured into the tech world. Was this always a plan of yours, you know, having studied in, in, in Waterloo? Uh, uh, it was always a plan of mine to be a corporate CEO from the time I was a young teenager, actually. It was not a plan of mine to be a CPA and to use that route to get there. Um, that was kind of an accidental uh, little path I went down, not realizing at the time what a great foundation it was going to lay for what I eventually came to do. But for some reason, I always knew at a very young age that running companies and having my own company was going to be something I did. Um, wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I mean, especially from a young age, it's tough because I feel like, you know, there's a sort of key roles that you typically want to play. You know, you want to be a surgeon and astronaut, but kind of being a CEO is not always on top of that list. So having that EQ early on is pretty special. Yeah. And interestingly, um, it was born out of Martha Stewart of all people. So back then, Martha was really um, getting her legs under her in terms of building a business that had global awareness. And for some reason, I just connected with that whole idea of a woman um, taking what was a home-based business and turning it into this multinational, multi-tentacled conglomerate. There was something about that that really appealed to me as an idea and uh, so it was, I have to credit Martha Stewart with probably seeding that idea in my head that I would like to be that or do that someday. And, um, and so it didn't quite go that way, uh, <laughs> you know, size and, and growth perspective and all of that, but it did evolve into a, a really nice career. What was the appeal of, uh, of being in that position, particularly that, that, uh, that kind of resonated with you? Was it managing people? Was it the growth that you'd have to sort of uh, absorb as you progress in your career? I'm just kind of curious on the leadership side. I think it was um, somewhere I had this idea of I, uh, I was as smart as anybody else that it was it would be exciting to own and run my own business, that I was a capitalist at heart. Where that came from, I'm not sure, because both of my parents were lifelong government workers. And I had this idea of capitalism and making money and um, just a strong desire to do that. So it was many, many things that resonated with me and... Um, in sort of, in some cases, a very clear fashion. In other cases, a lot of it was just very fuzzy in my head. But I definitely had the ambition and desire to do something significant, and uh, and I let let things evolve and come to me 
over the years. Um, and they all just kind of led me to the right path. Amazing. And, and uh, just to kind of uh, contextualize this for people, when you became the CEO of FaceSpace, I think that was the first kind of tech company that, that you really uh, grew that leadership uh, position into. Um, what was it about that role in the beginning, you know, not having gone through it a couple of times like you did eventually, uh, that was that was very challenging, particularly, uh, you know, to, to kind of start your CEO tenure. It was very challenging. In fact, um, when the investors asked me to run the company, I had a feeling of terror. In fact, I was terrified about all of the things I didn't know. And, uh, but at the same time, it was married with um, this idea or belief in myself that I could figure it out. And so it was a combination of many factors, which now looking back, I realize are some of the factors that make entrepreneurs who they are. You can uh, leap to that next challenge, be fearful to some degree about it, but still be willing to take the risk to do it and not run in the other direction. And there were so many things I didn't know when I became the CEO of Fake Space. Uh, that I also, I knew I didn't know. And they were a deep, deep understanding of that industry. So I had to very quickly get up to speed on that. Uh, There were just, you know, general things about running a company and being truly accountable and responsible for the lives of many people and the mortgages they pay and their careers. And um, and also trying to figure out how do you grow a company and acquire customers effectively and many things that I had had exposure to, but was not directly responsible for. So a lot of terror, but a lot of excitement at the same time. And in the end, it all worked out. Yeah, that's, that's, it's very, very true. It's, it's kind of different when you're in that, when you're in that seat. Uh, and I'm, and I'm, I guess, you know, here my thinking is like, was there anything you learned from previous uh, maybe managers or CEOs that you've run into that you've kind of said, you know, I really like this kind of quality and, I, and I'd like to and maybe model it when I'm in that seat? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, the I would say the six years prior to running Fake Space, I worked for an individual who was very um, direct, very ambitious, Um, very much a bust through any kind of challenge uh, type of person and demanded top performance. And it was working for him and uh, going from when I started working for him, being a very shy, um, just heads down, don't rock the boat, kind of person, just do what I was there to do in the best way I could. Um, Working for him, and we went through many uh, challenges in the public company uh, that we worked at prior to buying fake space. And it was meeting those challenges, having big successes, moments where there were were feelings of despair, um, cash challenges, all of those things, but getting to a place where you just realized there is always a solution. There's always the next day. There's always the next thing. And it's never the end. 
And so even when you're in the depths of what you think is the absolute worst thing that could possibly go wrong, there's always another thing that happens. And he taught me resiliency uh, in a way that has stayed with me through the rest of my career. Um, a huge, huge beneficial lesson for me and the confidence to be able to realize um, you can make mistakes and things can go wrong and it's okay. You just have to move on and not dwell on it and drive on to the next thing. What do you tell yourself in those moments of maybe hyper difficulty? You know, say for example, you have these cash challenges, you know, you don't know what's going to happen in the next quarter. And as a CEO, I'm sure you're always faced. It reminds me of kind of like that, uh, the Silicon Valley show. You know, every episode, it just seems like something crazy is going to happen. And they just somehow figure out a way. And so in those moments, what are you, what are you telling yourself? Like, do you, do you say something that you're like, listen, we're going to get through this? Um, uh, yes. And, you know, the older you get, the less you dwell on the bad things. And I'm very good now at literally taking a deep breath. I suck the air in and I let the air out. And then I try to think of something humorous. I often will just try to reset my frame of mind into, you know, give it, give it a rest. Like this is, it's totally okay. We'll get figured out. People will, you know, we'll all work together and solution this issue. And, um, and also, you know, in the moment you might be going, oh, why did they do that? Or why did this happen? And at the end of the day, just accept everybody is doing their best. Everybody has a position. Everybody is um, trying to take their best advantage. That's just the natural human behavior. And it's all okay. And there will be the next thing. So it's, you know, having the, I guess the, um, being the fortitude. Yeah, the fortitude to just take that deep breath and go, okay, so this feeling is going to last 30 seconds, and then I just got to figure out the way forward. So it's con- having consciousness about it, and uh, and also the experience to know you can get through anything. So in that case, do you think that entrepreneurship is something that you can be taught, or is it just something that you're kind of born with, like that tough skin mentality? I think my personal view is that entrepreneurs are born. And I, I know that about myself. Um, I, I can tell you nothing that happened to me as a child or in my teenage years um, that was modeled for me at home. My parents had a very stable, both, you know, nine to five jobs in the government, no overtime, big pensions, very stable life nothing entrepreneurial about it in the least. And yet I, there was something within me that clearly had the drive to be an entrepreneur. As you grow and you start work and you have different experiences that come at you in the workplace, you build other skills. And so that absolutely happened with me where those early experiences at work taught me resiliency and taught me uh, the strength from within and the confidence to be able to realize uh, people I admired were in fact smart people, but no smarter than me. They just had different experiences in life. Uh, 
and having that realization that, hey, I'm just as smart as anybody else. I'm as smart as the next gal or smart as the next guy. And why shouldn't those opportunities come to me? Why shouldn't I be able to do those things? I just need to have the confidence to go after them and grasp them. That's all it takes. And so those sorts of realizations and skills build up as you gain experience in life and they layer onto your basic personality as an entrepreneur, which had, in my opinion, you know, I had them, those basic entrepreneurial um, tenants and mindsets uh, that I didn't learn anywhere. I just had those. I can't help but ask, and I appreciate you touching on this subject. Uh, you speak about confidence, you know, and that's something I was kind of resonating with. Uh, you know, for me early on, for example, I was not always the most confident kid. I was dealing with like weight issues and stuff. And it only came about later on because I had to change certain things within myself. I can't help but, but imagine someone listening to this who might be an early stage entrepreneur, you know, maybe uh, younger as well. Think, okay, how can I be confident but not come across, uh, across as arrogant? Mm-hmm. And I think that's always a tough line. I'm not sure if you experienced this early in your career, but if so, what kind of advice would you give on that front? Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. There is a, like, I would say anybody young, Uh, lacks the kind of confidence that comes with ancient experience. It's just the case. And um, so, and I was a very shy, quiet sort of person, uh, but also understood, you know, I was a smart person. um, Just kept my head down. But um, you're right. There is a fine line between having an understanding that you have some skills and abilities and, and gray matter and smarts to um, being confident can morph into arrogance in the face of lack of experience where people mistake, mistake uh, arrogance for confidence. And so the notion that comes to me is the best confidence is quiet confidence the best confidence isn't the confidence that needs to have the strongest voice in the room or the loudest opinion. It's the confidence that of knowing and being sure about a direction, but having the confidence not to have to force things down other people's throats or to, um, not back down from an opinion when in the face of, of a contrary opinion. So this, this whole notion of you can have lo- loads of confidence and have good, quiet confidence without the drama and the emotion and the, um, the arrogance that can sometimes come with it. Uh, you know, and, and, if you kind of get into that pattern early in your uh, career, it, it serves you very well. That quiet confidence serves you well down the road. And you, you start to realize, you know, you actually know very little. And um, we all have things to learn every single day. And, but I'm confident I can learn those things. Um, that's, that's the confidence you want to have. It's also, I mean, to your point, it's kind of like that track record, right? So, uh, you know, with the maturity, with the experience, I think you're, you're naturally going to become more confident in what you're doing. 
when you look back at, I'm going to get to Exonify because I really want to save up some time there, but when you look back to the three companies that you led and then you helped sell, one of them particularly was very interesting. I did see the Business Insider article, for those who haven't, it's a great read, uh, with post ranking and Google acquired that. Walk me through the kind of mindset. So you, you, you come into this uh, business, you help it grow. What was your what was your sort of mindset at that stage when it was kind of nearing that uh, exit time and you were having these conversations? What was going through your head? Like, uh, was that tipping point of success? Did you feel it? Were you fulfilled? Um, I want to I want to kind of dive deep into into, into your kind of, your kind of thinking there. Hmm. Yeah, it was uh, you know I mean such a, a positive thing to for anybody to sell a company to google um you know that that is just in and of itself like the super bowl yeah um so just you know all around a very positive event and uh so i was i had many emotions um going into that it was you know feeling excited about the prospect of selling the company, potentially going to Google, super happy for the founder, technical founder of PostRank, Ilya Grigorak, um, such a wonderful young man who, uh, you know, ended up earning life-changing money, um, such gratitude and, and happiness for the employees who got, you know, the opportunity to move to California and work for Google, um, just all around a, a great deal of happiness that that was able to come to be. Um, you know, for myself personally, I I did have a choice and I um, very seriously considered going to work for Google myself. I mean, who wouldn't? Um, but as it happened, the original founders of Exonify uh, were working with me on the side. I was advising them on their business. And um, I ended up deciding at the 12th hour that rather than go to Google, I would buy this from them and take it over and, and start over from scratch. So it was very serendipitous that way. Um, and a bit scary. You know, the easier choice for me would have been to go to Google and collect a paycheck and have a great job and put Google on my resume. Um, there's nothing bad about that. And, uh, but in the end, it was a knowing what I love and what I do best. And um, the fact that I'm a risk taker and I was willing to take that leap and risk and uh, get back into something that I knew I could make into something else. Yeah. Well, back to that concept of, you know, are you born an entrepreneur or do you sort of progress into one? And I think that's exactly the example that you portrayed, especially later in your career. I think that's, that's kind of what I was really looking at. It's, it's also the timing of it. If this had been in the beginning of your career, because usually you hear the advice that, you know, when you're younger, you can take more risks, but you took that risk, like in that kind of pivotal moment. And I think that speaks true uh, to the testament of what you were saying. What do you look for then in, in, those kinds of startups. I mean, obviously you were able to select one that you really believed in. What was that criteria for you and knowing that Exonify would one day, obviously with the help of your leadership, become what it is now? Mm -hmm. uh, it was several things. Uh, first, there was a customer using the technology for a customer and using it quite successfully. 
So I, I interviewed that customer to understand the value they were getting out of the platform and uh, to validate, you know, whether this was just an anomaly or whether it was something with real legs. So that, that was the first thing. The second thing was I researched the learning market for corporate learning to understand the size of market, what people were doing um, today to train people, what existing technologies were out there, the whole competitive thing. Um, and then assessed, you know, who could I bring onto the team quickly to fill in all of the domain expertise I didn't have. So many, many things I looked at and in combination with all of that was a gut feel. So one of the things I've just honed over the years is the ability to know that when it feels good and exciting, like I feel genuinely tingly excited about it, that I think I can do something with that. I know that is a path I want to go down further. And I felt that very distinctly about this opportunity. So a combination of many things, um, market, the customer, the people that I could bring onto the team, the capital that I thought I could raise, uh, and the feeling I had about, okay, I believe, I truly believe this could be a thing. And, and so it was all of those things that, that made me make that choice. And at the time, how many employees did Exonify have? Uh, so two. So we... Wow. Uh, so the co-founders, basically. Yeah. So, so actually um, it was a part of a marketing agency, boutique marketing agency, and they had about 15 people, but two of them were supporting that one customer. So uh, when I took the company over and I had a business partner I brought in, um, she and I took the company over together and we then hired those two employees uh, to to continue to support that one customer. So day one, there were four of us, um, the two employees that we acquired and my business partner and co-founder and I. So essentially, you, you bought the tech. I do want to just, before we kind of continue, in your in your lens to someone listening who may not have come across Exonify, how would you explain uh, the business? Exonify is a micro-learning platform. What we do is use a combination of brain science, gamification, adaptive um, technology to deliver a three to five minute a day, highly targeted learning experience, person by person, so that we close knowledge gaps very, very quickly in the brain. We create memory very efficiently, and in creating that memory around critical things the employee's doing day in and day out, we can change their behavior dramatically. And when they change their behaviors, specifically around things you need them to do, so sell more products, um, uh, have fewer uh, accidents in the workplace, for example, which is a very prevalent thing uh, in many workplaces, whatever the, the business outcome is that you're looking to achieve, we can change behavior dramatically and create by through the creation of that memory in the platform three to five minutes a day gamified they have fun uh it's very competitive highly targeted to knowledge and each individual every day and then it's it's really interesting to see like obviously the clients using it i think you mentioned walmart being one of them when you when you first 
like just kind of going back when you were two people, you had you know the tech obviously didn't have a huge customer pipeline. I think you mentioned one. How did like how do you go from from that to you know building a whole team? And I guess this is where you you and your partner came in. But I think to everyone listening, like that's kind of the, the nugget that they're looking for. Like how do you do that? Well, in a nutshell. Yeah, exactly. So, so the reason I brought my business partner in was for that very reason. She is a senior enterprise sales rep. So how you do it quickly is by going and getting uh, the people that you know have the experience to be able to accelerate your business as quickly as possible for the least amount of money possible. And uh, that's what I did in the first year. I went to folks that I knew who had significant experience that we could leverage to accelerate as quickly as possible. And Christine, my business partner, um, honestly is the best enterprise salesperson in the country. And she can get anybody to buy anything. And so she was literally selling off of a PowerPoint for our first year as we were re-architecting the technology from scratch. And she's just a genius person and was able to build a buying vision and create that sense of, um, of excitement with the likes of Walmart and Bloomingdale's and Toys R Us and many others. Wow. So obviously aligning, you know, with the right partner yeah. begs the question, Carol, I'm, I'm sure you, you hear this. I'm going to get to the employees in a sec, but, but how do you find the right partner? So just like I asked you, how, you know, what things were you looking for in, a, in the startup? So what things did you know that you kind of meshed together? Um, it's a, it's part of knowing yourself and what you're good at and what you're not good at. I Many founders, um, you know, try to do too much themselves. I mean, there's a certain amount of capital constraint that you, you have. But part of, part of it is just, um, you know, if you're so passionate about what you're doing and where you think you can get to, uh, you can sell experienced people on that vision too. And experienced people in various domains have the experience to be able to identify good opportunities when they see them. And when they do, they're willing to jump on board for often less than you might otherwise have to pay them. So there's a little bit of that you have to do at the outset um, and not just try to do it all on your own. Um, you know, go get experience. The other, the other thing I, I think people do is, um, you know, three people will get together, three friends in their 20s, it's their first uh, startup, and they'll go, okay, well, you're going to be the CEO, and you're going to be the salesperson, and you're going to be the head of technology. And none of them really has any experience in any of those roles. So I would just say the sooner you can get somebody with experience to advise you on the business or work in the business with you, the faster you're going to do everything. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, and, and it's, it's crazy now when you look at Exonify, I mean, it's almost 187 the last I checked on uh, on LinkedIn. So let's call it 180 plus employees. That's a lot of people. Yeah. You know, you're based in Waterloo. It's a huge tech company. The name is out there. There's a big brand behind it. How does it feel now when you sort of look back and when you first started to seeing how big it actually has gone? And I know that there's a lot of progress, obviously, but um, how does that feel now? 
you know, feels awesome. In fact, I was saying to somebody this morning, I, I, where has the last six and a half, seven years gone? I can't even believe that it's gone by in a flash. And I think you just get so heads down and busy and, you know, trying to do all the things you need to do to build a business that time truly does fly. So I'm incredibly proud of the team. We have an amazing team of people here, amazing customers, uh, huge dedication. Um, I'm so grateful for the culture that everybody's been able to maintain. Um, just, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly proud and amazed at how quickly it's gone and how good things have been. I'm glad you mentioned the culture. You just took it right out of me. So it's good because I did see one of the segments too. And you did talk about, you know, one of the things you look for when interviewing, for example, is that right culture of fit. I did want to ask, because that's what I was curious about, is how do you define culture at Exonify right now? I think, you know, and you're, you're talking to the, you know, person who's at the top <laughs> of the heap here, but uh, I think we have an amazing culture and um, we do often what we call a pulse check or an ENPS survey with our staff. We just actually got the ENPS survey results. They were off the charts phenomenal. And in fact, they were so good that I sent the summary report to our investors uh, just as, as an informational thing. And I had an investor say, well, where's the bad stuff? And I, I said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, I see, you know, all the, the strengths and there's like two minor opportunities for improvement. Where's the rest of it? And I said, well, there is no rest of it. <laughs> That's it. He's like, I don't, I can't believe that. And so I said, well, listen, I'm going to send you the entire report verbatim and you can read, read every comment of every employee. So that's what I did. And uh, he sent me a note back a couple of days later saying, wow. And so much of the comment uh, section was around amazing culture and the transparency and connectedness of people you know, it takes effort. Like it, it doesn't just happen. It does take constant applied effort, admitting when something isn't going well, um, supporting people who need support, um, just doing so many layered things, but it pays off if you do those things. Well, 100%. Two questions left for you. Uh, the first one would be like, what, you know, as we're sitting here, like, what do you think is next, whether it's for you, for the business? What are you really looking forward to maybe in the next call it two to five years, so year ten? Well, we uh, actually are embarking on a major um, revamp of our product and the kind of the thrust we're going after. And so we're super excited about that. It's all top secret internally right now. But um, we've got some really big, exciting things coming up. So um, that's just taking a lot of effort. And we expect to see the fruits of that effort start to bear fruit uh, early next year. So um, that's, that's really, really exciting for us. Um, and then, you know, just more of the same, strong growth, um, acquiring new people. Uh, we've got to get more space. Um, you know, potentially a little tuck-in acquisition here and there for some stuff. Um, all the things that, you know, just 
you need to do to keep the pedal to the floor and go, go, go and compete and, and get market share. Amazing. Well, I'm looking forward to having you again when, when all the top secret stuff is implemented. Last <laughs> one for you, Carol, is uh, what advice would you give to someone listening to this mid-20s, um, aspiring entrepreneur of anything that you've learned so far, kind of the top, maybe one, two or three? Uh, I would say, you know, the biggest thing you need to think about as you're building a company is being super realistic about the size of market you're going after. And a lot of entrepreneurs overestimate the market size and the amount of that market they can acquire. So you just have to be super honest with yourself about that. Um, The second thing is also get, as I mentioned earlier, as much senior experienced talent on the team directly or advising you as you can as early as possible and truly listen to it. So the third thing would be drop the ego. You are not the smartest person in the room. You are not the only person who knows anything about anything. Have confidence in your knowledge. Have that confidence and and know your space cold, um, but don't let it creep into the arrogance because that's going to diminish your opportunity to raise capital, to find great people who want to work with you, to find customers who want to support you. Um, just be a respectful, confident person and you will get to a good place. Amazing. Carolina, CEO at Exonify. Honestly, one of the most down earth and I would say incredible CEOs we have in Canada. So, uh, you know, really, really grateful to have you on the show. And I'm sure everybody who listen is going to get tremendous value from, from hearing what you have to say. Thank you so much, George. I really appreciate the chance to chat.